You're listening to the Credit Risk Monitor Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Mike Flum and Jerry Flum. Thanks for listening. Uh, This is Mike Flum. I'm here with Jerry, my co-host and our CEO. Since our original podcast, obviously tensions have have kind of flared in uh, Eastern Europe with uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and uh, obviously the sanctioning of Putin and a lot of uh, the oligarchs or anyone associated with that Putin list. Definitely thrown some extra disarray into financial markets. Uh, We've certainly seen that response in terms of stock prices, but also in terms of halting of markets, for instance, in uh, in Russia and Ukraine, as well as some some shares that are trading actually in uh, other markets such as London. So um, we're really going to try and stay away from the political analyst perspective here because we're really much more so dealing with uh, financial risk and kind of how this whole plays into the... uh, Trade credit risk and supply chain risk related to uh, to B2B transactions, but we definitely see the closure of these Russian and Ukrainian stock markets as a pretty big development in terms of risk signal. So, uh, you know, generally, whenever there's no equity markets for anybody to tap, it's certainly not a positive impact for uh, for credit risk. But from there, you know, we'll kind of dive into some of these other topics as well as how this plays into the inflation environment and go from there. So as we've noted before, you know, if you have any questions or you have any topics that Jerry and I uh, can can cover for future podcasts, uh, we do invite you to email us at podcasts at creditriskmonitor.com and uh, let us know any subject matters you'd like us to dive into. So with that, you know, Jerry, with the loss of liquidity optionality from uh, equity markets, we kind of view that as an inherent increase in bankruptcy risk for any businesses that are affected by that. Can't be a positive, Mike. It's in the negative column. And uh, the amount of debt out there is at world record levels, which in and of itself creates additional instability, financial instability. So on top of this huge debt, highest in recorded history in mankind. And on top of that, we now have a war where we have embargoes, which means that all trading between certain parties is illegal and can't be done, which means every single company in the world now has to see if they or any of their suppliers has any other supplier to them which needs goods from an embargoed country, in this case, Russia. And uh, Russia is embargoing, and I can assure you that the Russians are not going to sit still for this. They are going to embargo countries that enforce the embargo. And that means contractual. Every single company in the world that has, on top of all this huge debt problems, now has to be concerned whether the contracts they already have in place are not going to be broached and the defense will be force majeure, which says, I cannot complete this contract. I need to send you, I have agreed to send you 4,000 tons of steel on a monthly basis, but the guy who supplies me the steel or the coal to make the steel is now embargoed and I cannot deliver the steel. Or one of his suppliers has embargoed and he cannot make it. He, and he can't make it and I can't make it. And so everybody backs up. So if you're in the purchasing department of a company uh, where you need goods, uh, that's a major problem. How does that impact credit managers? It impacts credit managers because every single company that has a possibility of suppliers having embargoed contracts are still good to have to have all their help, all their existing contracts for rent and for interest payments. Those go on. But 
sales start to stop and all of a sudden it becomes a working capital crisis and squeeze. And that's where credit analysis and risk analysis on the working capital of public companies is absolutely critical. And I want to say one other thing, and I've been saying it for some time, but this is a reality. If you look around the world and you want to know where all the debt at the corporate level is, 80% plus or whatever that magic number is in public companies. They're big They have five years of certified financials. In order to borrow a lot of money, you need to have some kind of certified financials. And most private companies don't have that. So when we talk about what's in front of us in terms of dollars at risk, make no mistake about it, the riskiest place in the world, in the corporate world today for suppliers and credit managers is public companies, not private. We will have frequency of private, but the amount of dollars that are at risk is going to be minimal compared to what's going on at Publix. And I think if you look at our charts, we have told you and shown you pictorially that the amount of debt at public companies as a percentage of GDP going back 50 or 100 years is the highest ever. As we speak today, not going to be, should have been, wants to be, is. So that's where the instability is. And we need to get the entire risk community and corporations to stop talking about, I need to have only coverage of private companies. You need to start wake up and start to look at the totality of the problem in front of us. Don't look the wrong way. Look where the risk is coming from. So uh, that's my position. I know I sound a little, uh, oh, I don't know, on the edge. And I'm on the edge because I keep listening to conversations that are just repeats of something which is never borne out historically. The amount of dollars at loss for financial risk is so overwhelming in public companies for the last couple of million years that even going through the private company dollar risk is, I don't know, it, it, it's just a misnomer and uh, and just a misplay. And today it's even worse than ever. So uh, this- just to just to comment on that, I think it's it's just more about the efficacy of where to do the research. Right. To your point. Yes. It's Absolutely. not so much that there's not value uh, related to doing private company analysis. There is. There's just a lot more value in getting your public company dollars at risk, right? Because they're just a much. Yeah, if you're worried risk. about if you're worried about dollars, absolutely. If you're worried about dollars, it's a public companies. If you don't care about the dollars that you're at risk, and you know you're worried about a contract where you might lose twenty five dollars, be my guest. Spend equal amount of time on a twenty five dollar loss. You know, at some well, point. That argument but, wears out. Yeah, that's that's a fair one. And maybe we should extend that then, because obviously when we talk about public companies, you know, that's kind of our bread and butter at uh, a credit risk monitor in terms of the Frisk score. And you know, Frisk score in itself is that unique model that actually takes in inputs from four do, uh, domains, uh, including the stock market, financial ratio analysis, agency ratings, as well as our proprietary crowdsourcing uh, usage behavior score from subscribers. So, and it's you know, I think it, every it's run every night. That that right. crowdsourcing is run every night. That stock market data that we get on public companies is run every night. So it's the most up to date in the world, and we're crowdsourcing credit managers from all 
all over. They, they get all the latest and greatest news in the world. And where they click on our site tells you if they are concerned. And if they get concerned and start cutting back on the amount of trade they're going to send, holy cow, that's critical information. That's what you got to know as another credit manager. You want to know what the other guys are doing, unless you're thinking that your company is going to be 100% of the working capital of company X. If that's what you think, then don't care about what other people are doing, especially the most sophisticated risk guys in the, in the world who are clicking on our site when they have a problem. Every night we see this. So, you know, giving this up in an environment where there's embargoes that are going to be possibly increasing, plus a war which could stop all supplies from coming in. How can you look the wrong way with more skill than forgetting what the risk is at public companies? You win. You got, you know, it's crazy. And, you know, I'm sorry to sound so irritating about it, but that misdirection play just wears out after a while. And yes, well, we- but to that point, I mean, isn't that almost a requirement in order to get to the level of debt and the level of risk that we're in? I mean, this is like a classic Minsky moment, right? At the point where people are less interested in risk, risk is actually as high as possible, right? It's inversely correlated. Yep. We have everybody in the world telling us, don't you worry about risk. Public markets are never, ever going to come down. They are also at the highest they've ever been. And uh, compared to history and in real terms, everything is pointing in the direction that risk is increasing. And now we have a war going on and we have embargoes and we have all this stuff going on to make it worse. And people just are doing the same thing. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, well, yes. I mean, to, to tie that all back, you know, I think it, obviously the points you're making on some of these force majeure points and, you know, the, com the complexity of supply from an international standpoint clearly points towards, you know, this um, almost pullback from the globalization uh, idea within, you know, markets that you can always create and ship uh, components sourced from all over the world at the cheapest rates for uh, for labor cost, right? Uh, and then obviously now you're getting into it in terms of supply and you know where a lot of the resources actually reside. You know, I think the obviously the ones we're pointed at for right now in the commodity markets with Russian impact and Ukrainian impact would be you know the oil and gas side of things. Obviously, wheat, uh, certainly nickel, you know, is one of those <laughs> that's come up recently in uh, current events. So. Those are all really big factors and kind of, you know, forecasting the fact that there's going to be a lot of supply movement going on in terms of where your factories are, where you're sourcing materials from, if you can, closer to home, less exposure to, you know, globalization and international uh, impact. So that's a big trend that I think we're going to spend more time talking about, you know, over time. But force majeure will keep the lawyers of the world employed for the next 10 years at 2000 hours a week because every company in the world is going to have to have an out if their suppliers or their supplier suppliers or their customer's customer can't function. Nobody can put that into a contract. So it's a force majeure. It's public policy. It's also part of contractual law. So at the end of the day, not being up to the minute on what's going on at where your customers and suppliers are is insanity. 
why don't we why don't we extend that conversation in terms of you know supply upset and certainly within the commodity space I think this is the almost easiest market to link it to but you know as you start to see for instance oil and gas prices spiking due to lack of supply because you know you've taken out two major uh, major suppliers from a geographic perspective with Russia and Ukraine you know obviously that's starting to push up prices within that commodity and if a basket of commodities are all going up at the same time coupled with you know all of the labor uh, tightness that we've already seen within economics that really tends to point the picture of maybe sustained or even runaway inflation potential right so from that standpoint I'd be interested to get kind of your thoughts on you know under the guise of you know commodity prices pushing up and certainly supply chain upsets and what that means for the ability to kind of turn revenue or, you know, make the uh, cash conversion cycle work from the credit side. You know, what are what are you seeing as far as inflation impacts related to this? Well, uh, it's interesting to me because it uh, it is uh, very convoluted, but let me give you some thoughts on it. Some thoughts of it might be the same. I may be the following. Somebody enters into a contract with a chemical company, they're expecting a certain price over X amount of time. And all of a sudden that company, the chemical company has to go out and get oil feedstocks, uh, which they need to produce chemicals. And all of a sudden it's now up 40 or 50% in price if they could get it. So all of a sudden uh, uh, you can't get the product or you do get the product, but now the price is doubled and you're now in turn selling it at a fixed price. So every single pound of X that you sell at this price, you lose money. So this backs up quickly. And so what can anybody really do about it? Very little, but you do want to know up to the moment what's happening at these suppliers and customers. That's why our news service is great and important. That's why our crowdsourcing, because these are the risk offices all over the world talking to people on the phone to get every single assessment. And where they click on our site tells you their concern. So again, I think that inflation or even inability to get the product is going to be havoc in the uh, entire uh, base of how we make and build products and services all over the world. And I think that, uh, like I said, the thing that makes this one different than anything that's happened before is the size of the countries that we're embargoing. And Europe's, not just America's embargoing, Europe's embargoing, parts of Asia are embargoing. And so everybody's going to start embargoing everybody else. What do you want the Russians to do? What, What do you think the Russians' possible response may be? Are they not going to change? After all, they represent 30% of all the oil or energy going into Europe. What's going to happen to that energy? Where is it going? You can't even put it on ships or tankers. So when I listen to this stuff and I see the uh, extent of it, and then I see markets going up, you know, the, holy cow, if I'm a risk officer, if I'm a purchase manager, man, I got to get real here. I, I need as much information as possible as quickly as possible. I need to know what other people are doing so that I can respond to it. I, you know, this is a world where information that's critical and I need to find out what are my real risks where, you know, all risks aren't created equal. All risks are not equal. If I can't sell the Congo, I'm not going to be as concerned if I can't sell all of Europe. There's a big 
difference. And that's the same thing that splits public and private companies. I'm never saying that we should never pay attention to risk at private companies. I'm saying we should, but for crying out loud, that can't be front and center today. That can't be equal. And I think that that's what this thing is all about now. If uh, the Russians curtail all energy going around the world, I mean, that's 30% of these are huge numbers, guys. And it's also in foodstuffs, wheat, God almighty. These are major, major parts of what people eat every day. Look at the shipping industry. You know, they're waiting to ship all this stuff. They got all these boats they're paying interest on. All of a sudden, there's no product, nothing to put in a boat. That's a business problem. If you're a shipping guy, hey, that's a real problem. It's like what happened last time with the virus in the U.S. And all of a sudden, people weren't coming into the factory because they were frightened, and rightfully so, about coming into the factory. Well, the company that has the factory and can't produce any goods still has to pay all the employees of the company, still has to pay interest, still has to pay rent, still has to pay insurance. They're going to run out of working capital in 90 or 120 days. The vulnerability of corporations is that working capital. Nobody's keeping 15 years of working capital in cash, except maybe our company. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, that's the weakest point in the weakest part of the economy. That's the one thing that we specialize on. That's what we've been doing for 21 years. Why don't we take a break from the, you know, generalized philosophical musings about it and actually get down to something that might be, you know, applicable or usable by the clientele or by anybody listening in terms of how do you deal with this? You know, so I look at it, obviously, from the standpoint of inflation seems like it's pretty much here already and likely not going away under the, you know, under what you just described as far as commodity price point pressures, as well as, you know, generalized labor shortage pressure. So with all of that kind of going on, I think it's probably pretty clear that inflation is here to combat inflation. We are going to see interest rates going up. That's already been announced as we talked about in our last, uh, last podcast. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on the Fed now to see whether or not they can only, you know, go by 25 basis points for this March raise or, or more. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So as that kind of builds here, obviously, those businesses and this is kind of the, uh, you know, the I guess the game plan that we say to customers in terms of trying to understand your exposure. Uh, when you look at your portfolio, right, it's important, number one, for public companies to use your risk score, obviously, try and focus on those that you know, have a one or five, one to five rating, one being the most risky. But beyond that, if you're really trying to focus in on those businesses that likely have the most exposure in the short term, we uh, we tell our clientele, you know, take a look at the percent of short term debt uh, as, a, as a percentage of the total debt at that business, because that kind of always exposes those businesses that have short term financing as a, you know, a very large proponent of its working capital. But also to that point, you know, they have a maturity wall that's coming up, which means they're going to have to deal with this refinancing risk much earlier than others out there. And if you're dealing with that refinancing in an inflationary and interest rate rising environment, no matter how you look at it, that short-term debt refi is going to cost you more than what you're currently paying. So 
your interest costs, your interest expense, all of that is going to be going up in the in the near term, which has a material impact on your ability to continue to you know play ball. That's kind of how I would go about it. Is you know start on a frisk sort and then check for those businesses that uh, have high high short term debt as a percentage of total debt. And honestly, if you're interested or you're a client and you want to understand what your portfolio looks like on that side, you know please reach out to your uh, to your account manager. We can get you guys kind of a you know a download of that information to kind of assess that almost a quarterly health check in terms of inflation exposure. So that's something I think we're going to spend a little bit more on a webinar going forward in the, the year talking about strategies on how to deal with you know risk mounting in an inflationary environment. But that's just a first pass. Jerry, do you have any other kind of pointers you would put out for how to deal with inflation environments and risk exposure? You know, I think the uh, other thing to watch out for is If stock markets start to react negatively and they start to contract, they're going, the price of the stock market is going to go below the book value of public companies. And therefore, the ability of a public company to use the public equity marketplace to refinance their balance sheet will evaporate. So you really want to pay attention to prices of stocks compared uh, to your suppliers uh, and your your uh, your customers. Uh, one of the wonderful things about the Frisk score is that we take that into consideration and run it every night. So we're doing all this stuff, uh, but you got to look at it and you got to put every single company you have into our ability to assess whether we can cover it for you because it doesn't cost you one nickel more, but we're willing to do that for free because you've paid for it as part of your service. And so I would make a really important step forward to get a trade file into our team so we can put together, we may be able to cover 50, 100, or 200 more companies for you for free with a 96% predictive score if it's Frisk or 70 to 75% if it's Pace for free. And uh, we run them every night. You just, you just not got to react to this stuff. And so I think uh, there are many things that you can start to do individually, provided you prioritize yourself to the companies that are risky. And the amount of risky companies is now geometrically higher than it was four weeks or eight weeks ago, thanks to Russia and the Ukraine. It was bad enough before. Before that started, now it's on a factor of five more. So uh, that's my advice to everybody. Use the best weapons you have and use them. Not using them now is a crime. Well, I mean, it's hard to argue with that advice. Clearly, you know, equity prices drop below book value. That's clearly not going to be a uh, an avenue for financing, which... I mean, every single creditor now or lender is counting on some company that's losing money hand over fist, which about 30 or 40 percent of the public companies are. And so what happens, they got in the back of their brain when you talk to them and say, well, you know, things got really bad. The company will sell stock. Stock is selling a two times book, even though it has no profits. Well, if that's your game plan to survive an economic contraction and embargoes, wow, that's exactly the wrong strategy. Not that it's partially right, it's a hundred percent wrong because that yeah. is going 
have. Well, that dovetails, you know, dress right back to how we started this, which is, you know, at the closing of Russian equity markets and Ukrainian equity markets, you know, clearly that can't be beneficial in terms of risk, right? It's just another avenue of financing that's closed it's, off. Uh, it's also the American markets and the European markets. At the right, end right, the- right. I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that it was just limited to those that were closed. I just thought it was a nice bow tail, you know, bow tie on uh, where we started, which is, you know, lack of ability to use equity as a financing component for your uh, your working capital as a potential clearly doesn't in, improve your working capital position. That's what allows, uh, you know, uh, public companies losing money to stay in business. Well, why else would anyone do business with a public company where you can see that they're losing money hand over fist and you're going to continue to do business? Why? Because the stock is selling at two times. Look, the, the guy running it or the gal running it, they'll sell stock. Who cares? They'll sell it until it starts to hit book value. Well, if that game is over, what do you do then? You can't sell your firstborn. Nobody wants to buy. So at the end of the day, alternative liquidity is out the window and the public guys got big loans and big supply contracts, are big customers and big suppliers. They're not like little private companies. And uh, look, my heart goes out to the little private companies because they're caught in a really bad spot also. But it's the amount of dollars that you're going to lose as a risk manager or a supply manager, the stuff that you're not going to get in the door to make your make your product. Uh, you know, that's your immediate problem. When we look at trade receivable data and we get close to two and a half trillion dollars a year of it and we start to map it out, you know, anywhere between 50 to 70 percent of the trade receivable data is coming from public companies. I'm not saying they don't have hundreds of companies they give us, but when you look at it, the bulk of the dollars, 50 to 70 percent is coming from public companies. That's where the risk is, guys. That's where the bank, if you want to rob banks or you want to rob money and you want to get a lot of it, you don't want to rob, uh, you know, luncheonettes. You want to rob banks where the money is. Willie Sutton said that 50 or 60 years ago. He robs banks because that's where they keep the money. Just change the name from banks to public companies and you're on the right track. Well, as uh, as always, Jerry, it's uh it's entertaining to hear your positions on them for sure. And I, I don't I, I happen to agree with you on uh, 99% of what you said. So hard to find fault there, but certainly concentrating on public companies, certainly concentrating on those where we have exceptional debt levels while we're also getting into a mountain, mounting inflation environment that's oh. set off by a, uh, you know, a foreign conflict that's impacting commodity prices across the world uh, sets the stage for a pretty uh, big come up. And- Mike, I'd like to add one thing. If you want to correct inflation, there's a time-honored way of doing it. It works all the time. Never failed. It's called deflation and a depression. That's why they're in the economy. So if you're looking for uh, for inflation to back off, I'm telling you, the economy is going to slow down dramatically. That's the best way in the world to get rid of powerful ingrained inflation. At least that's the way it's worked for the last couple of million years. Well, with the, uh, the Volcker rule in effect, why don't we yeah. wrap this up? It's been a pleasure uh, from Credit Risk Monitor, Mike Flum, speaking for Jerry Flum as well. I hope you guys have enjoyed our second episode of this podcast. And uh, we'll be back shortly with some new topics for discussion, as well as, you know, hopefully some uh, some insights from a practitioner standpoint to shore up your risk.
from public companies as well as private companies, but in general, just dollars at risk. Anyway, again, if you have any comments or uh, other topics you'd like us to cover, please uh, send your request to podcast at creditriskmonitor.com and uh, we'll be on the lookout. Otherwise, until then, uh, Mike and Jerry signing off. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Credit Risk Monitor podcast. Want to ask Mike and Jerry a question? Email podcast at creditriskmonitor.com. And for more information on how Credit Risk Monitor can protect your portfolio from financial risk, check out creditriskmonitor.com.